You're listening to Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim, Season 1, Episode 2, titled The New Guy. Music and story by Jason Nitsch. Enjoy the show. It's finally time. If it's today and the time is right now, then it's time for another episode of Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim. This week, we look in on a lone station employee, going about his daily routine just like he had every day before. Today, however, would be different. Okay, this job sucks. That's really my only thought. I mindlessly typed away at my terminal. Uh, Everybody said, see the world. No, 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 no. They said, see the galaxy. Join the deep space colonial marines and fight the good fight. Just like it says on the recruiting posters. Well, that was propaganda. Every bit of it. Um, For all of that bluster, here I really sit as a totally bored out of my mind accountant halfway beyond the known universe on some bureaucratic military post I mean there there could have been people here on the station doing real important things but I, I was doing the books I was counting pens and paper clips and slowly losing my mind one balance sheet at a time seriously why did I even have to be all the way out here Couldn't I do the same work safely and comfortably from low Earth orbit or on one of those lunar bases? Those military facilities they've got on the moon are practically resorts. Couldn't I be some location where I could at least tell the couple of friends I had left where I was? No such luck. So, here I sit, running yet another set of endless numbers across my computer screen, Still too close to the start of my shift, and much too far from the end of it. Caught some movement out of the corner of my eye as a group of lab coats scurry down the corridor. Must be lunchtime for them to be in that big a hurry. Hey, Sarah, did you see that? Hmm? That group of lab techs running down the hallway. What was that all about? Sarah was the section gossip. And somehow she managed to hear everything that was going on up here. Who knows? 
but I did hear from Steve in logistics that there was some kind of accident in one of the labs last night. He thinks somebody may have died. What? I didn't hear anything about that. Steve says they were prepping deep storage pods for bodies up on level six. I had only been here for three weeks, so I had no idea how regular an occurrence this might be. I was just about to ask when the lights flicked off. The dull brightness of the overhead lamps were quickly replaced first by darkness and then by the faint glow of all the red emergency lights. What now? I don't know, but this is weird. We never lose power like this. Just as she spoke the words, a rumble shook the station that physically rocked everything not nailed down, which was a lot. When things finally died down, I heard the station director come over the comms. Emergency plan Delta? Great. Like, I can remember what that means. There were so many emergency codes. Not to mention the conditions. It was lock in, lock out, lock down. Who can remember all of this? Not me, that's for sure. Everybody else seemed to know, so they all calmly gathered their things and started moving out. I just followed. I could see Sarah up ahead, but we were so packed into the corridor I couldn't catch up with her. She was really the closest thing to a friend that I had up here, and that was really based solely on the proximity of our consoles and the bullpen. The only other person I even remotely spoke to regularly was that cute lab coat who was always flirting with me in the exercise pod. Where are we all going? Somewhat nonchalantly asked pretty much anybody around me who happened to be listening, and I just kind of hoped for an answer. Emergency protocol Delta calls for all non-military personnel on this level to shelter in place at the mess hall and wait for the all clear from command. What about what the director said about an emergency? It's probably nothing. They do these drills all the time. I don't know if I was comforted or not. This didn't really feel like a drill to me, and a few of the older and more experienced looking among us in the hallway looked kind of nervous. Following station protocols, the station personnel quickly and quietly make their way to their safety areas to await further instructions. If this was a drill designed to get people's attention, it was definitely working. We got to the mess and a youngish looking marine who was carrying a serious amount of firepower for a drill hurried us all inside. And he stood in the entranceway as the last of us all piled in. Everyone, stay calm and stay here. I'm going to seal this door behind me. And everyone is to remain here until a Marine comes and lets you out. Consider yourselves in lockdown until then. Both the doors and windows are reinforced for your safety. Follow your protocols and you'll be fine. Don't open this door for anything or anyone except the Colonial Marines. With that, he sealed the hatch and ran off down the passageway. If we were awkwardly huddled in the hallway on the way here, we were positively packed into the mess hall. This room was probably intended to serve 30 or so of us at a time. We're probably 60 or more shoved in here right now. 
I could move, but not without running into something, or someone. We waited for what seemed like an eternity, just a huddled mass of anxious pencil pushers. No one said much, except to complain about how miserably we were all packed in here. This drill sure was taking quite a while to finish. It seemed like an awful lot of time to waste. Suddenly, everybody gasped as the station shook again. This rumble was bigger, and was I imagining? Was it closer this time? Before I had a chance to ponder that, we began to see flashes in the hallway, and I'm pretty sure I was hearing gunfire. This was no drill. There was a mad rush to the windows to grab whatever view we could of what was happening around us. First you could hear some speculation among those that were crowded around the viewports. And then confusion. And then the screaming started. I couldn't see from where I was, but I could hear people talking about marines opening fire. It's something that was attacking them. Gasps of horror turned into screams of terror. And that turned into sheer panic. Fresh flash went off and the crowd slowly started trying to back away from the windows. But there wasn't anywhere to go. It was a bad combination. With their positions now fully exposed, and the marines slowly being overrun, the peril of those previously safety locked away was beginning to sink in. Somebody panicked and Let's go! unsealed the mess door to try and make a run for it. And that's when things got really bad. Now we were no longer safely tucked away. It was an open invitation to come on in now. From my cramped position in the back of the room, all I could see were the flashes of gunfire reflecting off the ceiling, and hear the now panicked screams of those closest to the mess hall door. Then a blood-curdling scream pierced the walls of the chamber, and there was no doubt about the spray of blood that was now coating the window. The ceiling. Everywhere, really. I froze in disbelief as I watched more and more blood cover the walls, the people, and the red wave of horror just kept getting closer to me. I don't know how long I stood frozen in place like that, but I was brought back to reality by a heavy and deliberate hand on my shoulder. I spun around to see a familiar face half beckoning and half dragging me towards the rear exit. Come on! Let's go! There are escape pods in the corridor past Central Command. We're getting out of here! I nodded as we both took off in a run at the back of the mess and down the hallway, temporarily away from the screams and the blood and the carnage. The door to the command center was closed up tight. We didn't stop to check on them. They could fend for themselves for all I cared. More rumbles and explosions. Gunfire erupted behind us. We just ran. All of a sudden that cardio work was paying off. Thanks rule number one. We reached the safety compartment where the escape pods were located. 
Four of them had been jettisoned already. Four escape pods remain. I watched Sarah fling herself into the closest one and heard the hiss of the pressure door slamming shut. I heard the soft psst of Sarah's pod rocketing away from the station as I jumped into the next pod. This part I remembered very well from orientation. If there was anything they made sure that we knew, it was insurance forms and emergency evacuation procedures. I was in the seat, harness buckled, door sealed in a matter of moments and I hit the release switch with a purpose. I was violently shoved back into my seat as the escape pod rushed away rapidly from the station. These pods were programmed to shoot off to a safe distance and then remain floating in the area to await rescue. I must have reached the pre-programmed safe distance because I felt the propulsors disengage and pod reoriented itself to face back towards the station. From here, there was no clue at all that anything amiss was happening inside. I couldn't get those images out of my head though. All those people. Lots of dying was going on in there right now and I wasn't seeing very many pods activating either. Although freely floating through space, I was safe for now and the long wait for rescue began. For those lucky enough to escape the station, now the hope that distress signals were sent and that rescue ships were inbound was the only chance for survival for those now floating in orbit around the dark and quiet station. I remembered an orientation that they went over a full list of what each escape pod contained. Food rations, water, blankets, first aid kit, a very rudimentary communication system connected to central command, but would also connect to any DSCM ship in the area to aid in the rescue. I took a mental inventory of everything in the pod and tried to relax for what I was sure would be a long wait. I was right about that. I lost track of the hours. Then the days. I don't remember how long these pods were designed to last, but I watched in agony as I slowly ran out of food rations. Then I ran out of water. Then I watched helplessly as the battery reserves slowly drained down to nothing. Eventually, the cabin lights went out. Then the emergency power for all the heaters. It got cold quickly. And I got so sleepy. The oxygen had long run out, and the cold had overtaken my last physical defenses long before the shadow of an approaching starship crawled past the viewport. With no energy signature and no life form readings to pick up on, they drifted past my lifeless tomb without so much as a notice. 
I wish they had gotten here sooner. I wish I could have warned them. With their last breaths taken, and no rescue possible, the escape pods would forever remain drifting in a shallow orbit near the station. Lifeless, and offering no warning for future visitors, they were forever lost in the dark vastness of space. That's it for this week. Don't forget to join us next time for another exciting adventure on Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim. Hello, Belters. You've been listening to Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim. I'm series creator Jason Nitch, and I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please click the link to become a patron of our show and join us on Patreon, or go to my website at www.jasonnitch.com slash next episode to find out how you can help keep the stories from the Outer Rim coming. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jason Niche, and visit beyondthebeltpodcast.com for all the latest information about the series. Thanks again for listening and see you next time on Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim. <laughs>